you know, some, some weeks, some weeks come, come with all kinds of juicy food news or food things. And then some weeks, it just, uh, you, you, you must make your own magic, as they say. Um, and that's, that's just going to be the theme, theme of how I feel this season. We're getting far too into this without me even saying welcome to the Sick Palette Podcast. I'm your host, Deepa Shreeder. Guys, guys, first off, I had no idea if I was going to be able to stick to every Friday we upload. And listen, two, two in a row, I was like, wow, wow, Deepa, we have, we have broken old habits. We have turned leaves. We are new. We are better. We are stronger. And then this week happened. And this week was a, such an insane week of work. Um, that I wasn't even able to like think clearly throughout the week for three things. It just, nothing could come to me. Um, so I get it. I get it. I'm a little bit late, but you know what? It's still the weekend. It still counts, but let's get into it. Let's get into the first third thing. First third thing. (laughs) First of three things. Um, <laughs> just to give you guys a glimpse into where I'm at. Okay, so this is this is one of those times of years where I I understand uh, people who don't like the summer because of the amount that I don't like the winter. Um, so I, I, I understand seasonal affective disorder is real. Like, it's just, I, I feel like I have just a different sort of energy as, as the heat leaves Texas. So does my like sort of summer exuberance. Okay. And like I said, I get it. I'm in a minority here, right? Everyone's like, oh my God, the weather. We can finally sit outside, LOL. Who wants to sit outside when it's like 60 degrees? It's truly baffling to me. I want to feel a little, just a little bit of sweat. A little bit of sweat. A cold drink. A little bit of sweat. The days go on. You've got so much light outside. Ugh. And I think it's not even the fact that it's a little bit colder. The days are getting shorter. It's my, I'm getting this sort of almost like nervousness about winter, right? It's like, I think the more winters I experience, the more I get less excited about them every year. And I'm doing this thing where essentially this this feeling I'm having of like dread that I know in November it's going to be like four o'clock 
four o'clock and dark. It, it just, it just gets to me. But I was like, listen, winter is not going anywhere, you know, barring climate change. <laughs> but, you know, every, every year you're going to have to deal with this. This is, this is for the foreseeable future. What's going to happen? Every August, you're about to get a little bit sadder because, you know, September's coming. And you know that your sunset is going to come a little bit quicker. What are you going to do about it? So this year, this year, I'm battling it. Um, it's, it's the goal right? That, that that's why we're hustling and we're working that, that in the foreseeable future, I can be able to find sunnier locations <laughs> once we get to the, the December, the January and the February of it all. But we're not there yet. Okay. I'm going to be really honest. We're not there yet. We cannot, we cannot leave Austin in that way. And I thought about it and I was like, instead, why don't we lean into it? Why don't you do something that makes you get in the mode of winter? It's like, uh, do you guys know this about bison where if they see a storm coming, they, they don't like try to outrun the storm but instead they face the storm together and they just sort of like form like a really tight circle in the storm, but they're like, they head towards the storm. Their instinct is to go towards the weather they are not wanting to weather. Bars. (laughs) So I was like, okay, you're not a bison, right? You don't necessarily feel that energy, but why don't you, why don't you take a little lesson from them and head towards the storm, right? This year, I'm trying to head towards my storms. The second Q4, Q4 is about heading towards your metaphorical storms. So my, one of my favorite cookbooks, I I talked about it. It was this, the feature of um, this week's Substack newsletter. But basically, uh, it's the Nordic cookbook. And a lot of that Nordic cookbook is about the wintertime because Scandinavian countries, they, they, really, they really get into it, okay? And I was like, you know, why don't I sort of lean heavily. I used to love perusing through those pages. I love Magnus Nilsson. I love that he basically cooks with like all the elements. And he really, he really is one of those chefs that not only reps his like culture real hard, but he like uses, uses their like bleak winter to to create menus and I get it. Austin, Texas. I know a lot of y'all are probably rolling your eyes and you're like, what are you talking about? How cold does it get in Austin? We don't we don't get cold until February. But 
even this, this milk toast weather that's getting me down. I was like, this year we're going to get a lot more inspo from the Nordic cookbook. We're going to like look at these like beautiful pictures of like the vast, desolate, cold Swedish landscapes. Okay, we're just going to we're going to get real mood about it. Do you know what I mean? We're just going to get in that headspace. We're going to cook out of that book and we're going to sort of embrace being in this weather. And another reason why I want to do that is because once a month we do um we do the dinner series with the training kitchen now known now known as the Million Texan Kitchen. And it's an outdoor kitchen and it is really about cooking locally and about making sure that um we're highlighting what the farm has to offer. So I just feel like me getting in that mode which I know, like I said, I know it's not the most serious thing on the planet. I know it's not the most serious weather on the planet. But for me, this has been like a, a, a challenge to sort of deal with the fact that I'm not in perpetual summertime. Is it because I'm a delusional psycho? Yes, of course. But sometimes you just got to meet yourself at where you're at and say, okay, this is who you are. Now, what are you going to do about the reality that doesn't match your ideal? And that's what we're doing. The other thing that I'm doing (laughs) to get myself into winter mode, okay? Um, Anyone that knows me knows that I'm obsessed with all different kinds of reality television. Mostly mostly on the Bravo sphere sphere of everything, right? Uh, but I've never watched Real Housewives of Salt Lake City. It's just it's just a franchise that never really got like I got into. Okay, I I I'm a Beverly Hills, Potomac, uh, New York. Love the new New York, by the way. Uh, what else? The those those three. I really I really Miami, of course Miami. Duh. But I was like, you know. You've stayed away from Salt Lake City because just the idea of watching episodes of people in a very snowy part of the world, just it doesn't, it doesn't make me very excited. And I started watching it, right? And, and it is. It's in the dead of winter. You know, the, one of the first, first scenes is somebody basically you know, what do they call it? Like shoveling snow out of their driveway or their sidewalk and all that. And it, I'm just, I'm trying to immerse myself in the ways that you can basically interact in the snow. And housewives, housewives, some of the greatest villains of our time, some of the greatest characters of our time. Sometimes you just need to watch a bunch of rich women having a great time in the snow for you to envision yourself to be ready for winter. So that's my advice. Whatever your sad is, your seasonal effectiveness disorder, or whatever your sad is, 
And if you're trying to figure out how to get your reality to match up with your ideal and you're in that in-between phase, right? Like me. Become a bison, head into the storm. All of that sounds insane. (laughs) But that's all I got right now, okay? Let's move on to the second thing. My second thing. My second thing is... I can't tell if this is becoming a trend in Austin restaurants. And I I was like, you know what? Let me do a quick little PSA. Quick little PSA to have to whoever, whomever in the industry that listens to this podcast. Here's my little PSA. Coming from me to you. Someone who has been a line cook who has been a butcher, who has done both. I'm begging Austin restaurants to get back into the Lord's light. And if you're serving a ribeye steak, you need to cut it. You need to cut this. So I'm not going to name, name the restaurants, but there were two different restaurants recently been to, Okay. And, and let me get into it. Let me explain where I'm coming from here. And before you say, wait, you can't cut your own steak. Of course I can cut my own steak. I can cut the shit out of a steak. However, however, let me get into it. Okay, I'm getting ahead of myself. Here's the thing. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we talked about how basically when you're ordering from a restaurant, and you're with a, with a party of two or more, you should just assume everything is shareable, right? Right, like people who go to restaurants with other people and, and we're not sharing if, like the plates, we're not trying to divide and conquer. I, I, I don't want to dine with you, right? And we've talked about basically how restaurants are moving towards, not moving towards, they have moved to everything is shareable. We suggest getting three or four from this part of the menu. We suggest getting two entrees, this or that. The culture is shareable, right? Now, here's the thing. If you are also having on your menu, right, like a a steak that is more than six ounces, that is on the assumption then that that's a steak that's shareable. Who, whoever is putting on their menu uh, a, a one-pound steak, a 12-ounce steak, whatever have you, you know, you or you should know that that steak is now meant for a couple people, right? Unless, unless that's going to be your meal, your meal alone. For the most part, if you're going to a place and you want to try a bunch of things, if you're getting the steak, you're not getting the steak just for yourself. It's just, uh, it's, that's a rarity now. Now, if you are serving steak, what you want to do, especially if you're doing like a ribeye, a cowboy, something, a, a porterhouse, honestly, just any steak. Slice it up. Slice it up. I don't care if it's thin or thick. 
portion that steak before it comes out because of two things, two things, okay? That means somebody has to portion that steak at the table. And steak knives are not actually meant to cut your steak. You need a chef's knife. Once the steak is completely rested, ready to be served, you need to slice that steak up. There is a difference between a steak knife and a chef's knife. A steak knife is meant to be able to pick up a slice of steak and then cut it for your own individual, like, plate, your own need. This sounds stupid, but I'm telling you, it's really important. Now you've got somebody looking like a fucking goof, a.k.a. me, trying to Portion a whole 16-ounce steak at the table with a dull steak knife. You know how wild that is? Do you know how crazy that is? Are, what's going on? What's happening? Why are we serving in Austin, in fine dining spaces, a whole-ass 16-ounce steak uncut? That's psychotic. Give me a chef's knife then. Arm your guests then with a chef's knife and say, here, cut your own damn steak. Here's the tools. Okay? Let me shout out a restaurant that does it so well, by the way, for many reasons. Diner Bar. This is my second shout out about Diner Bar uh, in, in, in our recent in our recent history, podcast history here. But seriously, Diner Bar not only makes an incredible steak, beautiful steak. It's one of my favorite steaks in the city, for real. They portion it perfectly. And I'm saying this, I'm saying this as somebody more than well-equipped to portion a steak, to cut a steak. But if I'm at a spot and... I'm ordering the steak with my date, my guest, my whatever, my guests, my diner, my fellow diners, however you want to say it, my friends. I better see a portion of that steak. Come on, guys. What's up? Are you saving time? Is it presentation? I mean, it, it just it looks like a piece of meat, so I don't know what the deal is. I don't even like telling restaurants to do anything. I want everyone to do whatever they want, but I swear to God, please, no more. I don't want this to be a trend anymore in Austin. I beg you, I beg you, Austin, stop it immediately, okay? Doesn't make any sense. It's psychotic behavior. Portion the steak, then give me my dull-ass steak knife so I can look like a goof on my own plate. That's it. Okay, third thing. I got very angry. <laughs> okay, we're moving on. And the third thing. The third thing is just a little bit of a a cooking tip, hint, swap, what have you. So, I have I have done this for a, a few a few times now and I've never found the right right chili proxy. 
Okay. In a lot of Indian food, South Indian, North Indian, and everything in between, um, the it'll just say red chili powder, right? And if you are in an Indian, you know that usually means Kashmiri red chili, which is delicious. It's great. But sometimes it'll just say red chili powder, right? On recipes or just, there's just that sort of like, yeah, red chili. You can get red chili powder at any desi store. Red chili powder. And I, I've always found that to be kind of something that grates against me a little bit when I see it in like, you know, a cooking blog or, or something like that, just because like, it feels, it feels very impersonal, right? Especially, um, we're a cuisine that likes, that likes different kinds of heat and we are able to be very specific on how to toast spices and how to essentially source spices um, and the red chili powder, it just doesn't feel, it doesn't feel great to just say red chili powder in a recipe. It's something that I've been trying to like really figure out. And because I live in Texas and because of the proximities to an amount of really amazing chilies that are available here, right? Um, because we're lucky enough to be right next to Mexico and we have just a variety of ways of growing and uh, storing and sustaining chilies. And also, chilies are not native to Asia, right? Chilies are a quote-unquote new world product. And they were brought over to us. And we loved it. And we were like, oh, this, this we will adopt and we will run with it. So that's also another reason why I'm like, well, here I am constantly talking about making South Indian Texan food and I'm, I'm doing a better job of in my own recipes, getting more specific about the kinds of chilies I'm using in them. But I am suggesting this when you come across a recipe and it just says red chili powder be it Indian or not, I highly suggest making that swap immediately to chili piquin. Chili piquin is one of my favorite chilies. Um, and I forgot how much I loved it until I started working this summer with the Veracruz team. And one of the salsas that we're featuring for our um, collaboration dinner involves a chili piquin salsa and it's so delicious. It's going to be basically just right over our Korg style ribs for third course and just tasting it, tasting it with something that is South Indian spiced. It really sort of, it, it felt like a match made. They were ideal, right? Those flavors were so easy. And I was like, wow, I think this is the swap. This is the swap. When, it's, when you see red chili powder, just put in your head chili piquin. 
You can get them dried at Fiesta if you're here in Austin. Uh, you can have them fresh in the summertime if you're lucky enough to grow them. But Chili Pekin is now going to be my swap. Um, and just and just helps me sort of further deepen that connection for myself, for my own cooking um, as a South Indian Texan chef, but also uh, as a way to, to continue to help source in a more responsible uh, and a closer distance than, than, you know, a lot of chilies you can get at the grocery store. I don't know. I'm saying all of this. I, I understand this is this might be a little bit too inside baseball here or there. I'm saying this because I think there are a lot of immigrant chefs and immigrant home cooks who we all struggle, right? Like when we're talking about climate change, when we're talking about responsibly sourcing, when we're also talking about bridging those gaps of of the food that we come from, right? The the food that we grew up with, and then the food that's maybe around us um, and how to make those connections. And it is those maybe even like not, not huge sweeping changes, but little swaps like here, right, where you see just red chili powder named in a recipe and immediately you're saying to yourself, okay, let me use something a little bit more local and it gives me the same kind of heat. It's got a little bit of sweetness to it. There it is. I don't know. There's there's a few more things like that I can do. But I'm excited to start in my own head um, standardize, standardize parts of recipes and parts of things in ways that feel closer to where I live. If that makes sense. I don't know. Sometimes, sometimes I, I'm, I'm, I'm wondering, especially on this podcast, uh, how, how, how it goes for people when I get a little too quote unquote inside, but I like it. It's like part kitchen notes, um, part, part rant. I don't know. Okay, I think I think next week I want to do a wine review for one of the the three things. If you if you have a wine that you're really excited about, and like I said, real bison energy here, so I'm I'm leaning into the storm. So I'm going to look for some some winter wines that can get me pretty psyched about the weather. But if you if you have a suggestion, let me know because. Yeah, let's let's get let's get into some tasty deep dank reds. Things that that feel that feel good and like real mood, real brood on it, you know what I mean? Okay. I think that's it for this week. Still this week, y'all. Um thank you. Thank you guys for um we got a whole lot of new subscribers this week, which was really cool and really awesome. So thank you for subscribing. If you did uh, this past week, uh, welcome. Welcome to this chaotic little corner of the internet. And if you want to continue to support all things Sick Palette, 
we do have this week coming up, October 19th, 20th, and 21st, um, our collab dinner series with the Training Kitchen. We've got seats still open for October, um, and that is going to be in a link listed below if you want to sign up for courses. It's uh, Caribbean, Indian influence this, this month's menu. And also in October, October 29th is my uh, collab dinner with Vera Cruz Fonda and uh, me and Chef Reina came up with four courses that are super, super uh, one of one. It's a really exciting menu. Um, and the things that are on there, I'm just so proud of. So I'm really, really excited. You guys can look it up on my Instagram or you can look it up on Sick Palette. Not, not, not on the Sick Palette Instagram. No, on mine. You can look it up on my Instagram. And um, tickets are available also in the link below. Um, so yeah, October 29th, El Ritual. Um, October 19th, 20th, and 21st. The Training Kitchen plus Sick Palette equals The Million Texan Kitchen. And, and or, if you're like, listen, Deepa, that, that, that right now is a bit too rich for my blood. But I still want to support you. Guess what you can do? You can also become a paid subscriber to this podcast. You will be getting basically the whole archive is available to you. Access to all recipes. Most of the recipes are behind the paywall. Um, uh, also special podcast episodes, all kinds of perks like that. And um, you can do that for $30 a year. You can do that for $5 a month. You can do that. You can set your own price. You can do whatever you want. So thank you guys in the many ways you do support me individually and Sick Palette. And I will talk to you guys next week.